following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, IBC. It is wonderful to see you this morning. My name is Andrew McQuitty. I'm the pastor emeritus of this great church, which I love. And it's my privilege this morning to preach the concluding sermon in our seven-sermon series, The Beautiful Mess. Over these seven weeks, we've been going through the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to whom Jesus sent a message uh, about their uh, service to him, about their posture in the world, about their spirituality. And we learn from Jesus' messages to these seven churches what Jesus wants to say to Irving Bible Church right now on November 20th, 2022. So today we finish. Today we're on the seventh church in Revelation chapter uh, 3, verses 14 to 20. So if you have your Bible or your device, let's go there. We're going to put it on the screens, but we're going to cover this last message of Jesus in this seven church series. Um, I think it's just fair of me to warn you. I, I, I think Jesus' message to this last church is his most severe one. And it's very convicting. And so I just want to remind you, if you haven't been around me for a long time, uh, my preaching philosophy is that during the week I'm preparing a sermon from the Word of God, and God beats me up. He beats me about the head and ears with his truth. And I come on Sunday mornings, and I just take it out on you. Okay, <laughs> So that's, that's, that's what's going on right here. So Harvard Business Review recently came out with an article in which they were talking about a huge problem that is besetting the business world, the workaday world. It's, it's, it's not so much anymore, according to the Harvest, uh, Harvard Business Review, about the great resignation. Maybe you've heard of the great resignation during the three years of the pandemic. So many people just quit. They just resigned. They just left their jobs. They were able to do this because of government assistance and all this stuff. You, you know. But uh, the great resignation. The, the, the reviews... Uh, take on this is that the great resignation is kind of over and it's becoming replaced with something else called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. Have any of you ever been a quiet quitter? If you have, I sympathize with you. A lot of the people, according to the review, that are in this, in this ranks of quiet quitters are, are those who have during the pandemic and the shutdowns and so forth, they've, they've become thoroughly disenchanted with their jobs. You know, not in person, at distance, no community, and many of them not even needing their job and not sure why they're there because of the government assistance and so forth. But they don't want to quit their job. They don't want to take part of the great resignation. They just uh, quietly quit. And you know what the definition of quiet quitting is? It's not that you leave your job. Oh, you go to your job every day. The thing is, you don't do your job uh, with any sort of commitment or passion. You are half-hearted. You just do what you have to do to get by and not get fired. That's called quietly quitting. It's a big problem. 
It's a big problem for businesses today. It's a big problem for supervisors in these offices that are staffed by a whole bunch of quiet quitters because their attitude when they come in is kind of like this meme that I found online uh, going to work on Monday. It's the walking dead. Those are the quiet quitters. They're there. They're not there to work. They're just there to get by. And then of course, leaving work on Friday, they come alive again. Here's the thing. Jesus' message to the church at Laodicea that we're about to read is a message to a bunch of spiritual, quiet quitters. They're going through the motions. They got this fine church, but their heart's not in it. They're lukewarm. And this is what Jesus says to them, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus positions himself as a truth teller. He's going to speak into the, into the lives of the, of the Christians there at the church in Laodicea, truth that they must hear because the truth will set them free. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus here is using some imagery from the actual geography of Laodicea in the Lycus River Valley, modern-day Turkey. This, this town and the, and the Christian church in this town were, were located in this, in this river valley, which ironically didn't provide for them water. They had bad water. In Laodicea. But fortunately for the Laodiceans, seven miles north of their location was a town called Hierapolis, which was famous for its luxurious hot springs. People would come from all over to get into the healing water of these hot springs. And then 12 miles east of Laodicea was another town called Colossae, which was famous for its cold water that was snowmelt from Mount Cadmus. And so the Laodiceans were smart. They built aqueducts. They built an aqueduct to Colossae to bring in the cool, cold, refreshing water from, from Mount Cadmus. They built an aqueduct to Hierapolis to bring in the hot, healing waters of the springs. The only problem is, seven miles or 12 miles, by the time it got over the aqueduct to Laodicea, the hot water wasn't hot anymore and the cold water wasn't cold anymore. It was all just lukewarm. And that's why Jesus uses that as an illustration to describe the posture, the attitude of the Laodicean Christians. They weren't hot or cold. They weren't pleasing. They weren't ministering. They weren't healing. They weren't refreshing like hot or cold. Eh, they were just lukewarm. Just lukewarm. So, <laughs> Jesus says... In no uncertain terms, I don't like lukewarm. I don't like it at all. Because you're neither hot or cold, just lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now that, that you know, word there for spit you out of my mouth literally means vomit. That's strong. Jesus says, your lukewarmness, 
Your, your, your brand of lukewarm, half-hearted, quiet-quitting Christianity makes me want to yak. He's the truth. He's the amen. He's telling it as it is. John Stott, commenting on this, this passage, writes this. He says, the Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this, IBC. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath in religion. Now, my friends, a lukewarm bath is no fun. But a lukewarm bath in religion, that's awful. My little uh, two-year-old granddaughter, Peyton Joy, down in, in Florida, she would say, it's yucky. It's so yucky that it makes our Savior sick. So we learn. Jesus is, uh, is one who prefers temperature extremes among his people. He wants us to be hot or cold, but he hates the lukewarm. So he goes on here to tell us what we need to know. What is the source of these two things? What is the source of spiritual lukewarmness? And what is the source of spiritual passion? This is what Jesus is going to tell us next. Verse 17, Jesus says, You say, you Laodicean Christians, you quiet quitters over here, you half-hearted, anemic believers. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. It's the ultimate in self-sufficiency. I'm rich. And therefore, because I'm rich in material things, I don't need anything, including any spiritual things that you might have for me. Now, this statement put in the mouth of the Laodicean church by Jesus himself, I am rich, is literally true. This little town, even though they had bad water, they had a whole bunch of other things that made them wealthy. They had gold that they panned right out of the Lycus River Valley and filled up bags with gold. <laughs> because of the high calcium content in the soil there, uh, the, the grass that grew and fed their sheep made the sheep have this really weird purple wool. I mean, you can see pictures of purple sheep from eating the grass out of Laodicea. And you know, in the ancient world, what color did royalty wear? What was in great demand as being highly valuable? It was purple. And so they made a killing, the Laodiceans, hawking this, this purple wool all over the place. So they had gold out of the Lycus River. They had purple wool. They had eye salve that actually helped people's eyes. I don't know what it did particularly, but... They had a medical school there, and they began to produce this stuff, and it sold all over the place. And then, of course, to bank all the, the money that came in from these other three sources, they developed a huge banking system there 
that was the, the, that was the toast of the town. Man, they had money, they had riches, they were rich. Problem is, their riches made them self-sufficient and made them proudly self-sufficient. There was an earthquake at Laodicea. I think at about 60 AD. Completely decimated the city, knocked everything down. The Roman government, which oversaw it, offered to send them enough money to completely rebuild the whole city. And you know what the Laodiceans said to the Roman government? Nah, we don't need it. We'll rebuild it ourselves. Have you ever heard about anybody turning down government money? They did because they were rich. They didn't need a thing. The problem is their move to financial easy street had made them confidently self-sufficient and ultimately spiritually lukewarm. Now, how does that happen? It's just this, when we forget that Jesus alone can give us a life that is fulfilling and purposeful and eternally significant, we move Jesus down on our priority list. It's just human nature. We settle for material comforts while losing our sense of our desperate need for Jesus and what only he can offer to us. Since we don't feel like we need him, we don't pursue him. And what we don't pursue, we don't really care about. We become lukewarm. We become lukewarm towards Jesus, even as we talk to ourselves into believing that we're living the dream without him. And that's what the ladies, they were cooking along. Maybe they were fat and sassy. They had a church. They were going through the motions, but it was half-hearted. They were quietly quitting because they had fallen under the spell of material comfort that made them think they didn't need God anymore. Jesus continues. He said, yeah, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing, but you do not realize, verse 17, Jesus says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> How self-deceived, what delusion had entered into the spiritual mentality of these Christians in Laodicea to think that by becoming lukewarm and indifferent towards Christ, they were actually becoming more and more blessed. They weren't wretched because they didn't have wealth. Because as I've already told you, they had it. They had a bunch of wealth. They weren't wretched and pitiful because they didn't have the material necessities of life. They were wretched and pitiful because of the vast spiritual riches they passed up by becoming lukewarm towards Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. That's what lukewarm Christians do. 
We go for what we can do because we're self-sufficient and we're comfortable with that. And we think that we're just knocking it out of the park when actually we're cheating ourselves, trusting God for what he would have done if we just weren't so indifferent towards him. We think we don't need God. So we settle for accomplishing what we can do and forfeit experiencing what God would do if only we asked him. This is why the great C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires as his people. Not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We, lukewarm, quiet quitters, are far too easily pleased. So what does Jesus want us to do about it? What is the source of spiritual passion? We see that the source of spiritual lukewarmness is material comfort and a sense of no need for God. It stands to reason then that the source of spiritual passion is recognizing our need and going to God to have him provide what we need. That's what Jesus suggests. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you, you Laodicea and lukewarm Christians. You IBC, lukewarm Christians. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. You think you are now, but you're not, but you can be. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve. Put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Some of the most famous words in the whole Bible right there. Jesus says, I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking. Present continuous action. Not past completed action. It's not one and done. I'm standing. I'm knocking. Always at your door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll, I'll come in. I'll come in. I'll come in. Let me ask you a question. What's the most famous person that ever stepped foot in your house? What's the most famous person that ever stepped foot in your house? You ever had like a pro athlete or, or a, a famous singer or celebrity, politician? Anybody like that step foot in your house? You just are drawing a blank. 
you're saying to me, I, no, I, I never had any like famous person ever step foot in my house. Uh, that's why I want to tell you, you're wrong. If you're a Christian, you're wrong. Because the Lord of the universe has been knocking on your door. If you're a Christian, he knocks on your door. When you open it, he steps in. He's there. And he's bigger than any pro athlete, celebrity, or politician. This is the most amazing thing about Jesus speaking to the Laodiceans is he talks to them uh, with painful nausea at their quiet quitting, spiritually speaking. But he doesn't leave it there. He comes back and he says, because of my great love for you, with the answers for your lukewarm, half-hearted, spiritual malaise that I'm doing this. It's because I love you. Hear Jesus knocking, present tense, at the door of our hearts. It, it, it's reminiscence of Jesus' parable in Luke 12. I love this parable. Where Jesus pictures the... Um, the, the, the servants in, in this house are, are alert to their master's knock when it comes, when he comes from a wedding feast. And when, and when that, their master comes from the wedding feast and knocks on the door and they open it up for him, he's going to come in and serve them a banquet. That's what Jesus is, is, is alluding to here, is knocking on the door and coming and serving a banquet. And that parable in Luke 12 is... Is, is reminiscent, is, it, it's uh, foreshadowing of the coming marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven at the end of time when Jesus comes again for his redeemed and we have this great banquet with him. What Jesus is doing here with the knocking metaphor is he in, is inviting each one of us as his children to enter into a new relationship with him now that is ever-deepening for the rest of our lives, in which he pours into our needy souls that which we most desperately need. He doesn't send us a map and say, you come to me. He says, I'm gonna come to you. You think you don't need me, but I know you do, and so I'm gonna bring myself to you. It's the most amazing, gracious thing. As Jesus makes this appeal for us to daily enjoy an ever-deepening relationship with him that foreshadows the great banquet to come at the end of time. Verse 19, he says, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. I, I'm being tough with you because I love you. And even as I promise to come to you and invite you into a, a, a vital, personal relationship with me every day, uh, you, you, you need to repent. Repent of what, Jesus? You need to discipline us for what, Jesus? 
for our foolish and prideful sense of proud self-sufficiency apart from him. We've become so comfortable. We think we don't need him. And we've become half-hearted, quiet quitters, lukewarm towards him. We need to repent of that, a foolish and prideful sense of proud sufficiency, and of our refusal to admit that no matter how blessed and secure we are from a material standpoint, we will always remain in this broken world, in these broken bodies before we are redeemed forever. We will always remain desperately needy and weak and weary. Here's the good thing about admitting that. Is that Jesus already knows it. Paul Miller writes, Jesus opens his arms to his needy children and says... Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Not come to me, all of you who are fat and sassy, wealthy beyond your dreams, and have no sense of need. No. It's, it's the former that he invites. The, the, the group that I'm in. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. And what does Jesus want us to come to him for? What does he want us to anticipate him bringing daily when he knocks at our door and we open the door and he comes to have fellowship with us? Well, what he said. Verse 18, Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. There's not any money we can give Jesus. We're not buying. This, this is emphasizing the source, not the means. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you could become rich. It's like Jesus is saying, You lay your decisions like gold, I'll show you gold. The gold of mature, fire-forged character that is produced in you as you go through your days and you have trials and hardships and suffering. I'll be there, and I'll make all that forge your character into maturity. I counsel you buy from me white clothes to wear, Jesus says, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. It's like he's saying, you, let, you lay it to see you like those wool garments, those, those fancy purple wool robes. I'll show you wool garments. These are the white garments of Jesus' blood-bought righteousness. They come to his children when we confess our sins and he forgives us and we repent and he brings us into the fold and covers us with his righteous clothes. I counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see. You Laodiceans, in your medical school, you like all that eye salve stuff to help your eyes see. I'll show you what will enlighten your eyes 
the living word of God, the written word of God, that will enlighten your eyes in the wisdom of God for your life. So Jesus is basically saying, look, you need me. You need what only I can bring to you if you're ever going to get out of this funk that you're in. If you're ever going to get off the dime and start living a powerfully, visionary, miraculous, overcoming life for me in this world. The life of a fully committed, passionate disciple of Christ. I'm going to come every day. Because what will set you free from the lukewarmness is spiritually growing in maturity and in holiness and in wisdom. And that's what I'm going to bring every day. I'm going to have it with me. As we welcome Jesus daily, knock and enjoy intimate communion with him through prayer and the word every day in our lives, my friends, we grow spiritually to become more mature, holier, and wiser. We enter into this, this, this arc of spiritual growth that is continuous and transformative. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Nothing transformed. Nothing transforms a half-hearted, quiet quitter, lukewarm believer into a fully committed Christ follower like spiritual growth. You show me a Christian who's lukewarm and half-hearted and quietly quitting, I'll show you a Christian who's not growing. So to overcome it, what does he have to do? What does she have to do? Is start growing. And how do you start growing? You reverse your sense of self-sufficiency apart from Christ and you welcome the intimate presence of Christ in your life every day as he knocks and says, open up. I want to come in. I want us to have a feast together every day. That's going to make you mature and holy. I've never seen a growing Christian who's spiritually lukewarm, and I never will. This week, and God beat me up about the head and ears with him, so I'm just taking it out on you now, okay? That's the deal here. If you're here at IBC today on this wonderful day and you call yourself a Christian, may I ask, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a lukewarm Laodicean or a hot, cold disciple? Are you a half-hearted or fully committed? Are you a quiet quitter or a passionate Christ follower? You don't have to tell anybody, just be honest with yourself. Here's the good news, my friends. 
Whatever of those dyads you are, God has given you the ability to choose what you want to be. That's why Jesus knocks on the door. He doesn't break the door down. He doesn't come barging in, uninvited. He's very polite. You can choose to open the door or not. Scott McKnight in his book, One Life, talks about the choice that we have. Scott writes, what is important is that we have two options. You can dismiss Jesus' morally zealous words as unrealistic, or you can take his words as a summons to give yourself to Jesus. That is, you can take these words as a summons to love God and to love Jesus and to love yourself and to love others totally. Jesus' teachings are not just a set of morals or a set of teachings or even a lofty utopian law or religion. They are profound, provocative, and utterly at times unthinkable and undoable challenges to get you to take a look at who it is that utters these words, to think about whether or not he's worth the effort and a summons to give your entire self, your heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and spirit to Jesus himself. Do you hear it? Do you hear Jesus knocking? He is daily at the door of your heart. That comprises his summons to give your entire self, your heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and spirit to Jesus himself. To recognize your deep and desperate need and to great, graciously and gratefully run to him who wants to provide your need. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. We hear your words to the Christians at Laodicea over two millennia ago. And they are fresh to us, Lord, today. Right now. We come to you, Father. Asking your forgiveness for those seasons in which we've grown fat and sassy. We've grown materially comfort, comfortable. We think we don't have any needs. And um, in, the poverty, in our spiritual poverty, we think we're just really banking. That kind of lukewarm, indifferent spirit, Lord, I know makes you wretch. And we're sorry. We're sorry for that. But Lord, we are also encouraged at your invitation to open the door to you every day. Intimate communion with you where we can have a feast together with you every day of growing mature and holy and wise through you and for you. 
Lord, I pray that we will choose that, that we will choose to be passionate disciples and followers of yours, not lukewarm, Lord, fully committed and joyfully so, joyfully so. All this we pray, Lord, with thanksgiving in your holy name. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.